Fantastic. Well, we've got a real treat for you this morning. Um, you would have noticed we've been making our way through different men and women who we consider to be heroes of the faith, but the thing is that they're all just ordinary folk, and that God uses them in extraordinary ways, and, uh, and they have a lot that they can bring for us to, to learn, not only about God, but about how He actually uses us to fulfill His purposes. So this morning, we've got a, a great uh, opportunity. We have a guest speaker here with us, and I'd love to introduce to you Nathan Harding from Open Doors. Coming up, Nathan. You. Firstly, um, you. you know, he's got an awesome name. And uh, so, you know, really bonding. Yeah, yeah we're bonding together Amen. over that. There's a lot of Nathans. In, that's Double right. <laughs> yeah, prophets, right? Yeah, yeah. Or something. Anyway, <laughs> Nathan's here with his uh, wife, uh, Ruth, and his uh, little son, Jerusalem. Yeah. And uh, so good to have you with us. And so I'm excited to hear what Nathan's got for us this morning from the Lord. Who's excited about that? Let's make him feel welcome one more time. Thank you. Well, I think uh, you guys have already blessed Ruth and I. Um, If you didn't notice uh, a little one, well, there's a few little ones, but there was a little one walking around and sort of just hands and looking up at people, seeing if uh, he could get their reaction. But you've blessed me because you've given me an idea uh, uh, for us at home. And uh, I, Ruth was obviously um, registering Jerusalem, um, getting him ready for the creche. And, uh, and then when he came in, I noticed he had a sticker on the back. And I thought maybe it was just a bit of a joke or, you know, just getting them young, a bit of banter. I thought, excellent, I like this place. I'm one of five uh, children, so I thought I feel at home already. And then uh, during the worship, I just thought, oh, that stick, and I was looking at it, and it had, you know, all his details and 14 months and, you know, the family name. And I thought, I need that because he wanders off. I'm like, that's just permanent. If we can just permanently put that on all his clothes or print it or screen print or something... Um, I haven't talked about it with Ruth yet, so it's very much in the tentative box, Um, but we'll see how we go. Um, It is a privilege to be with you um, as a part of this series, and um, there's a few things that I've got in my mind uh, that I'd like to do today, and I'm sure the Lord's got many other um, things in His mind regarding your heart and what's happening uh, right now for you. Um, but the, one of the things that I want to do is that at one point I'm going to give you specific greetings from the church in Iraq. Um, another thing that I'm going to do, and, and I plan to do this at the end, um, usually we give people opportunity um, that align with our ministry individually and go, you know what, we want to give in some way, we want to be a part of that. Um, usually I do that at the end, and I want to give you an opportunity to do that, but um, what I want to do is do that up front. Um, to give dignity to the persecuted believers and, and our brothers and sisters in Christ that I've started to get to meet. Um, but the other reason is, because of part of this series and what God's already been doing amongst us this morning, I want to be able to give the dignity that that deserves. Um, and uh, so to start off with, rather than at the end, because who knows what the Lord might be doing in your heart and in mine. Um, so first off, Um, If you find yourself throughout this talk, as we talk about Brother Andrew's story, as I give you greetings around the world, and in your heart you go, this really aligns with me. You know, this really ticks or flicks a switch in my heart. I want to know more. I'd like to give and be a part of that. We talk about um, a monthly subscription. What subscription in your life could you match? 
I can't see or foresee at this stage um, the circumstance which Ruth and I will get rid of our Netflix subscription. We have with our stand. We've gotten rid of it. Um, but our Netflix one is just there. And so we encourage people, if you're lying with what we do, what subscription could you match? What's the smallest amount you could give to ensure for the longest amount of time? It is humbling going around, and I'm sure this church is no different um, as how Nathan has talked about the connection with Open Doors, the prayers given to Open Doors, um, that uh, this church will be no different when I travel around and meet different people in different churches in Queensland. I'm amazed by how many people come up to me and say, I've been praying for 10 years. I've been supporting for 20, 30, some even 40 years. And as a guy who's in his early, early 30s, some of them have been supporting the ministry for longer than I've been alive. And so if you're sitting there and you hear um, about how we work, I'm not going to make uh, much of a mention about that and how you do that at the end. But every month, your donation goes somewhere in the world. We split into Africa, Asia, and the Middle East. And depending on where you align with, every month we choose the church in that country that's hard-pressed. There are different experiences of churches in, in different countries. It varies from city to city, village to village. But we choose a country in that area that is one of the most dangerous countries in that area to live. And you'll find out about in what ways do we do that. Um, but that gives you a bit of a snapshot. Because... I imagine that this has been the sense of the pastoral team and the elders and um, those in your community who've been praying about this, um, this series is uh, you can even sense it this morning again of God's heart doing something amongst corporately as well as individually. And I just with great excitement and thank and gratitude um, to be sharing with you Brother Andrew's story, because he is an ordinary guy, or if we, were to, if we were to make him an Aussie for at least this sermon, he's an ordinary bloke. He's your average Joe Blow. And there's definitely a sense for me as I was um, just in, in, with the rest of you in worship of God wanting to do the extraordinary on your street. And I'm not wanting to be glib with that. I don't think your church is trying to be glib with that. God is an extraordinary God, and you are very ordinary like me. You probably feel it on the same level that I do a lot of the time. And would you open your heart to Papa God saying, I'm extraordinary, and I'm looking, as the Old Testament says, I'm looking around the earth to see whose hearts are loyal to me, and I want to strengthen, I want to do something that's quite obviously God and not human. I want to strengthen so that it will be a, an evidence to your street and your neighbor. He wants to do the extraordinary on your street. This is not just for the names in Hebrews 11. But if you've paid any attention to what's been said over the series, and you look at their names and you know anything about their story, there are very ordinary stories. And I mean that in the Aussie negative way as well. Like there's very ordinary, oh, that's cod ordinary. Very ordinary moments. But God did the extraordinary because it's about him and not ourselves. Before I just, how many of you um, know of Open Doors, first of all? Just get a gauge. Um, keep your hand up if you've read the Brother Andrew story, the, the book, Bible Smuggler. Okay, about the same. Well, I'm going to, those of you who don't have your hand up, I'm going to introduce to you about Brother Andrew's story and come back to it throughout. But where it is today and the ministry that it's doing today, specifically, we work as our niche in some ways, is with secret church. We work with the visible church, but we particularly have a ministry to where um, if it's known that you're a Christian and you've converted, it can mean imprisonment at the very least or it is death. And so we work in those circumstances, particularly if you want to use HR language, organisational knowledge, since 1955 when Brother Andrew started. And um, we've been serving the hardest countries around the world um, as they uh, progress into what we call the top 50 list. And if you're in that list, you can make assumptions on that list and regarding our organisation. Um, but here's a, a clip that gives you a sense of the heart of the work that we do from the people with which we're interacting with, who are supported by the work that Brother Andrew did, very ordinary guy, and where it has gone to now. So have a watch of um, them in their own words, our brothers and sisters, that first clip.
la vie chrétienne, c'est pas facile. Il y a une amende à payer. أهلي أكيد إذا عرفوا إنه أنا قلبت من مسلمة لمسيحية فأكيد رح رح يكون الجزاء تبعي هو الموت يعني. There are many thousands in the country, live in their villages, they are hidden, they're secret believers, and nobody knows about them. My big brother called me. He asked me, are you a Muslim anymore? Here I can't lie. I said, no. And he started insulting and uh, you have to come home now, and I will call you, I have to kill you, and... Okay, I can come, I said, okay, again, this year I will come back. So, I, I, come, I came back home. He asked me, you believe in Muhammad, that he's a prophet? I said, no. He told me, he told me, take off your glass. He came to beat me. His head stopped here, and his... Um, me, he stopped it here. He can't. He said he wants to be, but he can't. I, I told him, can I do something? And you have right to, to stop me, but I want to do it. He said, what? I just stand and I, I hug him. He didn't understand that I love, I love them and I have to love them. Even they now they, they think that I'm a bad girl and I love them in our case. And Jesus said, if I if I receive hate or evil and I respond with evil, the evil never end. But if I receive bad things with good things, it can end. Je disais, mon Dieu, que, que soit votre volonté, c'est-à-dire. I need prayer for to stay strong. I want you to pray uh, that people will experience what I was talking about. The, the special experience with God. The good news can change your life. Tell them the good news and they will be saved. Helping people follow Jesus worldwide, no matter the cost. That's the work. And it's been happening for over almost 70 years, thereabouts. And in almost 70 different countries. If you look at um, that list, uh, the darker colours are the more dangerous places to be. North Korea, number one for the last 18 years. Now, if you're a Christian, or let's take it, a, it's actually a step further over, if there's just suspicion that you're a Christian, that's enough to get you jail time. And it can get you killed. Somalia, um, there are just a few hundred Christians in that country. If there is suspicion that you've converted, that will get you killed. It's not, we've proven it, suspicion. Helping people follow Jesus worldwide, no matter the cost. If you look at that list and you think about one man, a Dutchman, 1955, didn't have all the air travel, didn't quickly get online and work out the cheaper flights, it's extraordinary in over 70 countries. But as you're um, processing with me today and, and asking questions in your mind and maybe talking to the Lord throughout the talk, my suggestion would be to you today, and I wonder if um, this is the Lord is in this as well, is I want you to focus on the word ordinary today. I want you to focus on 
when you think about what God might do through you, we often think of the extraordinary stories and then immediately go, oh, that's not me. Or I'm not that guy or that girl or I don't have that type of prayer life. So I want you to focus on the word ordinary because you might, through your own perception lens and how you view yourself, if you focus on extraordinary today, you might miss what God's wanting to do in your heart. You might hear it, but you may not easily tune into it and really sit there. But if you focus on the word ordinary and think about the most mundane things that you do in your life, the repetitive things that you do around your house, with your neighbour. Maybe you don't say hello to them, but you happen to be taking the bin out at the same time. I want you to focus on the word ordinary and see what God does in your heart when we mention the word extraordinary. And Brother Andrew is a very ordinary guy. He, was, um, he grew up under the um, Nazi or well, World War II and the Nazis eventually invaded his area, and he was in one of the regional areas, not the major cities. And he was in his early teens, and he was a real scallywag. He had a real cheek about him. He would play pranks in his own neighborhood, but particularly, and this astounds me, I guess it's something that only a, a, a child who doesn't really understand what they're doing would do this, because um, an adult surely wouldn't. Um, he would play pranks on the Germans. And he was just known as this scallywag. He wasn't a Christian. His family were, um, I mean, if you're, in, if you're in that part of the country, in that era, you're connected to church somehow, but they weren't really religious. But he knew people that were religious, and he'd go down to, the, to their house every now and then and, and have food with them, and that sort of, you know, as, as those of you who have children know, that kids, other kids just come into your house at times, and you just accept that. And, um, but he was a real just scallywag. World War II finishes up. He gets a bit older. And like America had its Vietnam moment in the, seven, uh, in the 60s, uh, the Netherlands, the Dutch, they had their moment, but it was in Indonesia. And it wasn't too long after World War II. And I can't remember if it was subs- um, conscription. I was about to say subscription. Just sign up to the army. Um, conscription, um, he went to Indonesia wasn't of faith, um, went for adventure because he was that type of person and what he saw really broke him up in a way that you read his story and you think, is this guy going to recover? And you you know that he will because you're only at the start of the book. Um, But it's one of those types of stories. And he encounters Jesus at some point through a number of different circumstances and he comes to Christ. But because of how he is, because of all his type of ordinary of growing up and the ordinariness of his neighborhood going, yeah, I'll go to war, why not? And then found in quite unique circumstances, you've got the Soviet Union when he's back. You've got the Iron Curtain. You've got the church. Uh, There's no longer knowledge between the East and the Western church of what's happening over in your country beyond what was called the Iron Curtain, for those of you who may not, because of age, be as familiar with it. And the church didn't know what was happening over in what was called Soviet, um, the USSR, Soviet Russia. They didn't just have Russia. They had a whole lot of the nations that are now independent. And no one knew what was happening to Christians over there, apart from probably not good. And because of the ordinary way that he grew up and his unique circumstances, he got to the point in his life and what God was doing in his heart, he thought, you know what, I could do that. I could go over into a country that there's a huge wall now in in, in Germany and not many people have the courage to get over there because if you get over there, you may not be coming back. And so he jumped in his VW bug. It's the colour blue, if you were wondering. And he loaded it up with Bibles. And he knew, because he'd already taken a few trips on different student tours that were saying, hey, come check out communism. And he said, oh, yeah, I'm interested in communism, though he just wanted to find out how to operate in those countries. And, um, and he knew that it was very bad to be putting Bibles in his car and taking it across um, taking it across the boundaries into those other countries. But he did that because he thought, you know what, this is is my ordinary. I'm one who could do this. And he jumped in a car like 
no doubt all of you did this morning. And he crossed the border. And when he got to the border, the border agents were searching the car and taking their time in doing it. And as he's coming to the border, um, for those of you who know the story, you remember the famous prayer that he prayed. Um, and I'm sure he prayed a lot, uh, many other things. But the well-known short statement, which is, Jesus, you made the blind eyes see, now make seeing eyes blind. Short prayer. And as the border guards are searching the car and they are at the place where the Bibles are and clearly they're looking into that area, but for whatever reason, whatever, however God did it, it was like they just didn't see it. And he drove on. It's quite an ordinary prayer. <laughs> for those of you who've been praying for... Um, the persecuted brothers and sisters, whether it's us, whether it's Barnabas Fund, Voice of the Martyrs, whatever way you've been doing that, thank you. For those of you who are paragraph prayers or maybe you're like, you can go into the prayer closet and pray for a long time. Praise God for you because you know the one to whom you pray to. If you are a sentence prayer and that is all you have, you're like, I don't get going into a prayer closet. That's not me. Maybe I'm just not as spiritual. If all you are is a sentence prayer with very seemingly to you, when you look at the extraordinary, you're like, this is quite ordinary. But if we just focus on the ordinary component, if all you have is a sentence prayer, praise God for your prayers. Brother Andrew prayed. Uh, my wife would be able to tell me how correct this is. She's better at grammar than me. I'm assuming it's one sentence, but I'm, you know, I'm assuming there's a semicolon in there. But whatever he prayed was, praise God for her, I write stuff all the time and she just corrects it. Um, a sentence prayer is what he prayed. That was the beginning of the ministry. Now in over 70 countries and the most dangerous countries, to be a Christian. The um, uh, different stories that could be told, I, I thought, let's just do a bit of a snapshot of different areas around the world. And uh, one of the videos that you're about to see is, uh, we talked about secret church, but the work of Brother Andrew also involved places where you could see the visible church. You could interact because maybe it was registered by that government. They were very tightly controlling it and, um, and very watchful and they would register churches so that they could control the Christian network, the ones that they didn't know about. And that's continued as well. I was in the Middle East last year and uh, we didn't get an opportunity to meet with any secret believers because it just wasn't the time in that country. It wasn't um, secure enough to do so. But we met with the visible churches that have been just as squeezed. And this next video will give you a sense of how is it that we work with the visible church? In what ways? And on the end of it, it might seem rather ordinary, but I'll talk about what the lens is that we use when we're working with the visible church, carrying on Brother Andrew's ministry. Have a watch. The majority of the people here are Christians and this state is a Muslim state. We are treated the way we are treated just because of our religion affiliation, that we are Christians. The hatred is just there, not because they've done anything wrong. With this, there was a kind of uh, growing hatred for Muslims instead of law.
Open doors built boys and girls hostel for us, and they equally built uh, classrooms and a multi-purpose laboratory for us. After the training, there was a kind of calmness within the Christian community. That teaching really had great impact in us. We could sense that Christ wants us to love those who hate us. I could feel and sense it within the heart of the flock that, yes, God was really doing something. And that change now gives us that grace to be able to witness to Muslims again and to love them. The equipment they have given to the Dudis Clinic is now making us to have a good medical services in this area. Not that we don't know that it's good to love even in the face of opposition. But when you are faced with reality, this thing becomes so very hard to exercise. And uh, we, you need to be encouraged. So it, it comes as a source of encouragement to put us on the track again. I don't know where to start thanking them because they help us. We don't know the tongue we use to thank you. We thank you a lot. One of the things that um, has stayed with Open Doors and um, was very much a hallmark of Brother Andrew when he would travel the countries um, and find out what do you need? You're being hard-pressed in this area of your country. What do you need? And whether it's Bibles uh, from the earlier story um, or whether it's what you've seen up there, practical support. And with the practical support um, and, and the work of what Brother Andrew um, um, would do, the lens through which we look at a country and go, what's needed here? And again, city to city, region to region can be very different. And so we are looking at as, as the work of Open Doors around the world is looking for where are the people of God so hard-pressed in the world, which country and what area within that country, that it's almost at the point that individual Christians in their house and in their neighborhood are thinking to themselves, maybe we should leave which is a fair question to be asking. And there's definitely times in the New Testament where you see them leaving. And the work of Open Doors is looking at, okay, but what if you had something, what would that something be so you could stay because the light of Jesus is in you and you are the witness in this street, in this neighborhood. So how do we keep the light and witness of Jesus in this area? And so when you uh, watch that um, video, you're, you're looking at circumstances where because the Christian population in an area, maybe it's been this way for um, a number of years, or maybe the circumstances have changed all of a sudden, and definitely in areas of Africa, um, there are areas that have been hard-pressed for a very long time, and those where, particularly in the last year, it feels like it's accelerating. And in circumstances like in the video, you've got Christians who are saying, well, we're, no, we're not given access to the medical um, needs that we need. Christians are losing jobs. And we're being told, hey, but if you convert, we'll get your job. We'll look after you. You'll have all the access to all the other areas. 
In Nigeria in 2017, particularly we're looking at northern Nigeria, it's very different to circumstances you would find in southern Nigeria. But there was feeding of 15,000 Christian families because in the area of Nigeria where they were and the circumstances of the famine, aid was getting there, but Christians were on the back of the line. And by the back of the line, I don't mean they were on the line. And so for three months, sustaining the community so that the, the light of the gospel may remain there and stay there. Because you and I, there may be some in the room, but you and I are not called to be on their street. But neither are they called to be on your street. When you think of the word ordinary and you think about that VW bug, Brother Andrew... And uh, in one of the photos, of course, someone's taking the photo, so we went with someone in that particular trip, just two ordinary guys jumping in the car. What is your ordinary that God might be wanting to do? Something extraordinary. Reveal himself. Your neighbor who always talks to you about death, maybe that's them saying, hey, engage me on this. And it may be not because they know you're a Christian, they just, it's on their mind. And rather than Nathan Harding walking away from that conversation, like I did with one of my neighbours going, gee, that was really bizarre. He was talking about getting into the freezer and, you know, he's a lot older than me and I guess that's what you'd be thinking about at that time. I'm like, don't know what to do with that. It's a really ordinary situation with a really ordinary conversation that can just come up like that. But maybe we can get our minds around of going, hang on, is God wanting to do something extraordinary through the invitation to talk about death? And beginning a conversation with my neighbour of just about faith. And the more he gets to know I'm a Christian, the more he asks me, well, what did Jesus say about that? Things are getting a bit hectic at the moment. But death, this con- what are the conversations in your world that are a bit bizarre, <laughs> maybe not the normal you'll engage in, What's the ordinary things that are happening around you? Because it's the extraordinary, Hebrews 11, the people there have very cod ordinary situations happen that you read it and you go, oh. But God is doing, because he's extraordinary, doing the extraordinary thing. One of the sayings that we have in our ministry um, that's come from one of the colleagues in uh, the region of Africa, and I love it. I've put it on my laptop um, on the, as a behind screen thing, whatever that's called. Um, and it's this. In this ministry, Open Doors, the extraordinary happens to those who simply try. That's simply what Brother Andrew did. He had a vehicle, didn't have much money. He had a wife, he had a kid. Uh, I don't know if he had his first kid by that stage, I can't remember. But he, he's thinking family. And he thought, you know, I can get into this vehicle, I can put a few Bibles in. It's quite an ordinary thing to do. I said I wanted to give you specific greetings from the church in Iraq. I might have said the Middle East, but it's the church in Iraq. And church in Iraq right now on the most dangerous uh, world watch list, the top 50, it's number 13. And in that country, um, it's a first century church. We went to the first church that was built in that country somewhere between 35 and 55 AD. And I say built, but it's like a built into a little hillside, almost like a mud um, type. Well, it looks that way now. And um, a first century church, the heartland of Christianity, under Saddam Hussein, the population of Christianity um, or the, um, was about 30%. The first peoples of Iraq, Assyrian and the Chaldeans, if you're an Assyrian or Chaldean, you are a Christian. That's how it operates over there. The percentage is as little as 0.7% of Christians left. Many of them have had to flee and get out, ISIS, all those situations that we've seen on the news that make sense. And there's only 0.7% left. One of the leaders, after coming back from the trip, about a week or two afterwards, one of the um, church leaders in that country 
um, got a press statement. I think they might have even been in England and they were making a statement to the press and they said, if we have anything else like ISIS happen again, and while I was there, they were talking about the Christians, we think maybe it might be happening again. And the news now and the media is reflecting that um, thought um, from the um, end of last year. And this church um, leader in England um, from the church in Iraq said, if we have another one of those situations, it very well may be genocide to the Christian Chaldean Assyrian community. And can you imagine if you're a father, if you're a mother, if you're maybe a teenager thinking, what does this country offer me? You're going to be asking yourself the question, I would be, maybe we should get out. And a lot of displaced communities, imagine 200 families coming from the Sunshine Coast, travelling down because a motorbike went through um, their neighbourhood and um, said over some loud device, if you're a Christian and you're here in the morning, whatever happens to you is on your own head. And you think, okay, that's clear enough, pick up everything and leave. Imagine 200 families filling that space one Sunday morning. And they say, hey, we're not necessarily your flavour of Christianity, but you're our brothers and sisters, would you help us? The strain that that would place on the community, financially, this community, they don't have anything anymore. Maybe they own three restaurants, like one brother that we met has nothing now. Sorry, what did you do? What's your name? Who are you? You have kids? Okay. And so a lot of the work in that country to help people stay is to alleviate the psychological um, stresses of um, security and career and sustaining family. And this video gives you an insight into much of the particular practical support that we're doing in Iraq. Have a watch. احنا بعد ما تهجرنا مدة ثلاث سنين فكرنا انه نعمل شيء ما فقط نعتمد يعني فعلا على المواد الغذائية لعوائلنا فسألنا بعض التجار خلي نقول ما هو اشنو المعمل اللي مثلا او المشروع اللي فعلا يطينا ربح حتى نعين عوائلنا فكانت النصيحة من بعض الناس انه والتجار انه اشتغلوا في هذا المجال قالوا هذا المعمل فنفذنا هذا المشروع مثل ما قلتوا احنا كثير نشكر كل فرد وكل الناس اللي يدعمون هذه المنظمة وكل واحد يعني من اي دولة كان نشكر كل دولة استطاعت ان تخلي ناسها واهلها وعوائلها تقدم المساعدة لشعب اصلا هم ما يعرفونه وما كانوا غشوا عوائل بس مجرد لمعاناتهم يحملون روح المساعدة Another area um, in the country um, that the work that we've been doing is uh, a number of families being uh, displaced and they're in the, this particular area and food, getting food to the brothers and sisters there has been really important. But side by side next to them are Muslim refugees as well. And so as the food has been getting to our brothers and sisters over there, and they say g'day, by the way, um, the Australian church, particularly with this country, uh, has been partnering in many ways, not just us, but particularly um, with our partnerships over there for many um, decades. And um, we were, they were telling us this story, and they said the, the food that was getting to the brothers and sisters, the Muslim refugees turned to them and were saying, where are you getting your food? No one's feeding us. And they said, well, it's our brothers and sisters in Christ that this is how we get the food, that they're supporting us. And the response was, well, would you give us some? And so the Christians in that area um, uh, had a conversation back with the Partner Foundation. We only work through local churches and, and uh, you wouldn't see any of the tags or that, you, that you're seeing here today of branding. Um, it would just be as if this church here was ministering to believers and, and, um, and, and connecting with the world outside. And uh, so they were talking to the Partner Foundation and, and worked something out. 
And the Muslims in that area and those particular refugees have a new saying. And their saying is, we have Allah in heaven, but we have the Christians on the earth. It's a very ordinary thing. Food. And I wonder how many times you do a barbie. I wonder how you cook and, and whether invitations to come have a cup of tea or come have a barbecue. When we were dedicating Jerusalem, um, we invited a swag of friends and uh, people from the church to come back to our place for a barbie afterwards. And Ted, we you know developing a relationship with him. And we said, Ted, come along. Um, you come to church, you're welcome. If you don't, come and have a feed afterwards. One more mouth won't be a big deal. And so he came. Came up the driveway. He's a, he's, I keep saying he's a Scotsman, but he's a, York, he's a Yorkshire man, um, and, uh, which I'm sure he'd be very cross if I got them confused. But he came. He sat down. Someone else started sharing the gospel with him. It's the ordinary invitations that you give, that you go, well, maybe I don't really explain things that well. I don't have the language that that person has. Can you give an invitation that God might do the extraordinary in a moment where the first seat they sit down next to is someone who's British and, um, and they just start sharing, do you know Jesus? We didn't do it. Extraordinary God knowing the different dynamics Brother Andrew, and um, maybe if we go to that last older slide. He's 92 this year. Still alive. Last year, I think it was about a week out from his 91st birthday, um, he travelled to Pakistan, which is number five uh, most dangerous, but it's the most violent manifestations of, um, of persecution when it manifests, the most violent. And he went there just to encourage the believers. One of the things that has remained important in our ministry, and I think it's an encouragement to the ordinary, is Brother Andrew talks about, and it's, I don't think it's his term, I think other people talk about it as well. He talks about presence ministry. That really, a lot of his work from his view, was just being with believers. Because in some places it was illegal to have a foreigner preach a sermon and there were, there were ways to get around that. Um, but he said, I came to know that my presence was worth a thousand sermons. And definitely being in the Middle East last year um, and, and um, with a team and meeting the different church communities and the different projects, they were just stoked that we were with them. And they referred to the Australian church when we said, what would you say to the Australian church? They said, tell them that they are our elder brother. I'm thinking, yesterday I was in a first century church. What are you talking about? And he said, because an older sibling looks after the younger and you've been doing that for so long. Presence ministry, you're not forgotten. We remember you. I wonder when you think about the ordinary and if um, the team or however that works wants to join, I wonder when you think about the ordinary in your life, do you underestimate your presence? Do you underestimate your age? Do you underestimate that even being in this building and maybe you are um, in twilight years, and you're thinking, well, I'm not doing up here or I can't mobility-wise do other things, don't underestimate that to a younger pair of eyes, you are seen and the question at some point, maybe it's not quite articulated this way, is why are they here? They're still here. The fact that you're still here and you're persevering is a statement. Maybe the ordinary for you is simply other people in your age demographic aren't real sure how an extraordinary God um, would come into their routine. And you can start asking that question and being an example. If, as I said at the start, if you align with what we do, you want to know more, come and ask um, me. I'm going to be up the back. Come and have a chat. But I wonder if you would close your eyes 
And I want you to think about the ordinary things that you do. Not the cod ordinary things. God's grace has covered that like he did Abraham, like he did David, like he did Noah. Because of their faith that they were exercising, there's no condemnation. But what are the ordinary, mundane, routine things that have been happening in your week with your neighbour, your neighbourhood, at work? What would it look like to invite someone to a barbecue? Maybe it's your prayers. Maybe you've been underestimating you, yourself and how you pray because your time span or you just don't have the focus or those may be your words, but all you have is a sentence. Don't underestimate. Hebrews 11 verse 6 says, Without faith it is impossible to please God because anyone who comes to him, and it's, it's unpacking faith, Anyone who comes to him must believe that he exists, tick, and that he is a rewarder of those who seek him. So when you pray in some way, you're acknowledging, God, I'm accepting your reality of you are extraordinary and you exist. And I'm, I'm coming, if the very fact that I'm praying is admitting that you have something that could change this. I'm not entirely sure about that, but I've heard that, and I at least have enough faith to make myself feel stupid and, and pray to you and ask you to intervene. Maybe for you, you need to stop underestimating your prayers because this scripture says it's not your prayers, the length or the sentence or the paragraph or the time, but it's the faith that you have in the one that you're coming to. I was with and, uh, and reflect on conversations that you've had over the past year or the past week. I was buying a mud, a very ordinary thing. My wife, uh, Ruth, is such a faithful lady in how she um, looks after and thinks about Jerusalem. She's a teacher, so she's into development and age development. And uh, you can have, remain eyes closed or have them open, whatever you're comfortable with. And um, she said, I, I found this mud kitchen that I want you to get. $80, it's a short little thing. He can interact with it. He'll love it. I'm like, okay, great. Yep, I can do it after I've got a meeting and I'll go to Kabulcha. Go to Kabulcha. I get to this guy's home and um, he's a woodworker. He's got some impressive things in his shed. feel pretty comfortable in a shed because I'm a guy, um, even though I, I was hoping he wouldn't ask me to use any tools because that would make me less comfortable. Um, and when I got there, he just started to yarn. just started to talk. And he started to tell me that he hasn't had work for ages. And while he's talking, there's a lot of stuff around. And I'm looking around and there's some stuff that's like 666. And it's like, you know, um, God is dead. Satan is real. And I'm like, gee, what is this? What's going on here? I'm like, okay. Should I be on my guard? Anyway, he's talking. He's just telling me about his life, like, much like Ted talking to me about death. And so I'm like, okay, pay attention. And he said, my back... Ever since it, it, um, something happened to it, I haven't been able to do work. So I just do what I can to sell stuff. And then he explains the 666 stuff and it's some woodwork that he's done for some other people that he's led into the, his life and he just really enjoys them. And I'm, so I'm feeling a little bit less awkward now. And I realize, I'm like, I have a God who intervenes into people's circumstances. And he was telling me how he's fearful of an operation because he heard of a lady that had the same operation on their back. She hasn't been able to walk since. Someone local in the Morton Bay region. And I thought, what am I going to do him? I'm just going to walk away. And I'm like, well, what if God doesn't do anything? Or what if he doesn't do anything in the moment? And then I just thought, you know what? That's not my problem. That's God's job. I, I'm not the miracle person. He's the extraordinary. I'm the very ordinary. And so I thought, all right, I'm just going to say to him, I said to him, hey, mate, you know, I believe in praying and, you know, do you want me to pray for you? It came out a bit more awkward than that. But, um, and, uh, and he said to me, oh, yeah, that's good, thanks. And I'm like, I'm not sure if that's an invitation or... And then I thought he probably doesn't really know about prayer, so maybe he's just like, okay, yeah, great, I don't know what to do with that. So I thought, all right, and I just said, well, Jesus, I believe that you have the power to heal um, and back be healed in Jesus' name. And God, if, they, if he goes into um, 
some sort of operation, I pray that you would be in the operating theatre, be with the doctor, and I pray that everything that's wrong may be made right. In Jesus' name. And then he was like, okay, thank you. All right, excellent. And then uh, he helped me get the thing into the car. And that was it. And I'm like, that's really weird. I wonder if he'll talk to the 666 guys about how this Christian guy (laughs) prayed for them and nothing happened. I'm like, well, that's not my job. I'm the ordinary. I can't do anything. But he can, and that's up to him. That's what Brother Andrew did. He jumped in a vehicle, and it started a ministry that's in over 70 different countries around the world. You don't need to start a ministry of 70, that goes to 70 different countries around the world. But you're on your street. And the extraordinary God is aware of what's happening in every one of those lives. People at school, people at work. It's not an easy circumstance to say I'm a Christian as much as it was 20 years ago. It's just a bit more awkward, so it's not bad on the large scale. But the extraordinary God wants to step in. Jesus' name.